I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to get into the Word, and it shouldn't take too long as I introduce today's series. And after we're done with today's message, just stick around for about not even five minutes. We're going to give you three quick announcements. And then um, we're going to collect our tithes and offering at the end. I know it's not custom here, but we're going to do it that way today. But um, today's message, if you're taking notes, write this down as we get into today's word. It's the war series. And if you have Twitter or Instagram and, and, and if you want to ever hashtag it, the hashtag is, is war series. But as we talk about war part one, today's message is titled such. It's titled, and you can write this down in your notes, you must decide. And if you just write that down. You must decide, and we have this cool little graphic here. Remember, we talked about our deal, Sam, not that long ago. And um, this is what we're going to talk about today. You must decide, and you'll see as the message goes on and, and some thoughts that I want to share with you what I mean by this. Um, when, as we talk about war, I was doing some notes, and, and I'm going to save it for, for weeks to come, but there's a lot of positive things about war, but there's also a lot of negative things about war. And... Um, Maybe you're here today and you're for war, you're pro-war, you're like, yeah, baby, you know, destroy our enemies. And, and, they, mm -hmm. and then you might be someone that might be against war. But I want to share with you, as we looked up in the dictionary, exactly what war is and means. Because sometimes we just think war is just weapons, kill. But I'm, I'm going to share with you what war is. War means this. It's a conflict that is carried by force. And I'm going to go back to this a lot. It is an aggressive conflict between parties. Maybe you've never been at war like, and fought for the United States, but maybe you've been at war with someone. You've had conflict with someone. Maybe you've gotten in a fight with someone. That's a great illustration of war. Uh, remember my non-Christian days. That was um, very likely in our side of our friendships where when just one stupid thing happened to one of our friends that weekend, we mixed up and we found each other so that we could fight with our rival dummies. And it was a conflict that was carried by force. It was an aggressive conflict between parties. I like this. It's active hostility or active contention. Have you ever been there? And you're like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been there. Well, for the married people, maybe you say, yeah, I have I, in my household. I have. I've, I've been contention and struggle with my wife, maybe with your children. They just don't understand me. And I've been in aggressive conflict with my children. Um, I love this because one of the greatest places that I've experienced war, anyone want to take a guess? Where do you think one of the greatest places where I've experienced war has been? Yeah, in my church. Amen to that. Amen. So maybe it's been in church where you felt contention. It's like, that's not supposed to be in the church. It happens in the church too, where you felt just a struggle and you feel this aggressive nature, this active hostility between parties. Now, war is what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Now, when we talk about war, we see that nations war against nations, religions war against religions, gangs war against rival gangs, communities War against communities, families, war against families. Sad thing is that sometimes it's even the same old family warring against each other. And you're like, you're not supposed to fight against each other, your family. We see that in our lives, don't we? Just people against people. And we see Christians just warring even amongst each other instead of being united in this warfare that we are supposed to fight together in. In. In 1 John, if you're taking notes, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you the scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's a great scripture to remind us that you and I as Christians, we are at war daily. And, and, and one of the greatest things that we are at war with, let's play a game again. I'm pretending like I'm teaching you guys today. Here we go. What is one of the greatest things that you and I go to war with? Good. Ourselves. I was waiting for someone to say, Satan! Satan's a good answer, but I'll tell you, I'm going to give you the, the reality of it. You fight more against yourself than you do against Satan. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Against your desires, against your addictions, against the strongholds, against that little voice that tells you, just speak bad about her or him today. Against that, whatever it is that's in you that just is corrupt, 
And it's not good. And, and, and 1 John 2.16 reminds us of this daily war against our flesh. And, and it shows us that we're a constant war, but it names three things that we are at war with. And if you're taking notes, write down these three things. We did a whole like, three-week series, mini-series on this. But three things that we war against is the lust of the flesh. You guys remember that? The lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the what? Of the eyes. And then number three, very popular, the pride of what? Of life. 1 John 2.16 shows us those three things over and over. And I love this because it says, here you go, you struggle and you fight and you war against these three things. Pride of life, the lust of the eyes, okay, lust of the flesh. But then John goes on to tell us something so amazing. And he says, all these things, I love this, are not of the Father. I mean, that right there is just like, Wow. Because I've seen myself with the pride of life and I've seen myself with the lust of flesh and the lust of the eyes. And then when I come to read scripture, scripture says, regal, that is not from the Father. And I say, then what is it from? And God kind of reminded me saying, it's from your very own sin. It's from your very own life, you sinful creature, you. And you and I, one of the greatest or the greatest person that we war against, not him, not her, not them, not Satan, one of the greatest persons that we war against is our very own selves, and it's the lust of the eyes. Uh, man, you know this very well, and we'll stop right there. It's the pride of life. We know this as families and as individuals, and it's the lust of the flesh. I want, I desire, I, and God's like, you don't need any of that. You just need more of me. And God says all these things are not of the Father, and we see that. And number two, yes, we war against the enemy. We war against Satan and against his demons. Scripture teaches us that spiritual warfare, Ephesians is a great example, that spiritual warfare is real. There are demons, there's a Satan, and we're in constant battle with his forces daily. But so amazing, we fight him with the truth of God's word covered in the blood of Christ. Amen? Now, there's something else, though, about us and what we're warring with, alongside, and even warring against. And here it is. Some of us, and like I just shared with you a few minutes ago, are warring against our very own spouses. Instead of warring alongside of our spouses. Shame on you. And all the married couple say, Amen. Some of us are in war against our neighbors. Some of us are at war against our children. Some of us are even daring enough to be at war against our God. Scary place to be at. Against God himself. And I want to ask you today, do you find yourself warring against things in which God, instead, he has called you to war alongside of those things? But we find ourselves warring against them rather with them and for them. See, together we're to war as a church. We're to war as a marriage. We're to war as a family. We're to war as people of God. And we are to be in war together. One of the greatest things uh, I was blessed by was, I was talking to you guys during worship. My, my good friend, her brother is dying in the hospital. And, and we've been struggling for about a week now, seeing what God's going to do there. He has a tumor that has just overcome his brain. And um, 29 years old, a young man. One of the greatest things that I heard was someone told me this week, hey, how, his name is David. How is David doing? This person has no idea who David is. No idea. Never met him, never spoken about him. I've never had a conversation with this person about David. They just asked me, how's David doing? In our church, this person comes to our church. And I said, well, they're still waiting to see what's going to happen. He's breathing slow. They took him off life support. We don't know yet. And he says, awesome, well, our whole entire life group, we just stopped and we prayed for them together. And we prayed for David and his family. And I said, thank you very much. And I hung up the phone and I said, my God, if that's not the church, what is the church? Here you have a group of individuals that are meeting together, maybe at a Starbucks, maybe at someone's living room. And they stopped what they were doing to pray for a brother in Christ that they have no idea who they are, who he is, and who the family is. And I thought about that as I was preparing for this. And I said, if that's not a great picture of what war is, then what is it? You have the body fighting alongside the body and praying and coming along 
and saying, we're going to believe in a miracle. We're going to believe in God's faith. And we're going to believe in God lifting you guys up. And that's who we are supposed to be. Listen to this. You cover my back. I cover your back. Now, back. now watch this. To defend and to protect that which the Lord has called us to fight for. And I'm going to break all these things down in a minute. But it's true. It's time for us, like we saw in the video, this is war. It is time for us to go to war, to fight for the things of God, to stand on what Scripture calls truth, to war for the sanctity of marriage. That's something that we're definitely going to be talking about in the weeks to come because today it's being lost quickly. Follow me on Instagram and you'll see the stupidity of what happened just because I put a picture of Chick-fil-A up. Give me a break. You believe in what you believe, I believe in what I believe in. I still love you. I still love you. But we're losing because we're staying quiet and we're not making noise for the word of God to stay true. Church, we're losing. We got to get up. We got to make noise. We got to go to war. I'm going to show you in the weeks to come my live Instagram feed of what happened. I'm going to blur out screen names and I'm going to blur out profanities. But probably next week, I'm going to show you exactly what took place just because I said I support the sanctity of marriage the way the Bible teaches it. I'm going to show you what happened on my Instagram. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad at the same time. I had a guy who I have no idea just curse at me and say, F you, Pastor Eagle. And I was like, what? I don't even know you. And um, we'll blur the F out and, um, so that way you guys don't feel unholy. But it happened. It's real life. It, it really did happen to me. And I said, dude, I don't even know you. How do you know I'm one of my family members, you know? But who cares? Let me not. I'm just ramping now. Here we go. Let's keep going. Amen. Um, it's time for us to go to war, to fight for our spouses, fight for our children, fight for our neighbors, fight for our church. And listen up, church, to fight for the cause of Christ. How many of you can say amen? So today we declare war so, so what Christianity is supposed to represent can be represented truthfully. And I have a burden for that. That as I read this book and things are happening in this world that are not aligned to this book, check this out, church. It should be burdening your heart. It should be weighing down your life. And that's what I'm talking about here during the war series. That we begin to stand in the truth and stop just letting things go by. And not making one peep, one noise, and one stand for what God has called truth. It's time that we do this. See, because the truth is, today's society has foul-mouthed Christ and his teachings. How many of you could agree with that? They've made a cesspool of what Christianity is and stands for. They've polluted and made foul the name and the image of Christ. It's sickening what they've done to Christianity. It's sickening what people have done in the name of Christianity to Christianity. It's sickening some of the messages that preachers are preaching. It's sickening what Christians are doing and yet saying they proclaim. It's, it's, we're making Jesus look stupid. Did that offend you? Because it should. We're making Jesus look like a fool. But I'm going to ask you another question. What are we going to do in the next few weeks and the rest of our lives? Sit here. Say not one word. Not cry out the gospel. Will we scream for peace but yet decide never to make war? Some of the greatest peace is found in the victory of war. So church, my introduction to you, it's... Make war. You must decide after today's meeting whether you're ready to make war. Because this is why. As we speak about key things in weeks to come and you don't decide to make war for Jesus, all the topics that we're going to talk about are just going to be vague to you. And you're not going to fight for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for your church, for what the scripture teaches. So in these weeks ahead, we're going to be discussing on fighting for these things. The marriage, the families, the home, the brothers, the sisters. We're going to be talking about weapons of war. We're going to talk about prayer and fasting and worship and meditating in God's word and fellowship. Amen? We're going to discuss key things like our disciplines. And that's going to be a, such an awesome service because some of our disciplines are so messed up. So messed up, our disciplines. And we're going to talk about our disciplines and what exactly is a discipline and how must I achieve these disciplines and correct myself in these disciplines. We're going to be talking about that. 
I haven't been able to give how many weeks this is going to last because I want to touch up on all these things. We're going to be talking about our enemy. Yes, even our enemy. And we're going to be talking about one of the most important things, our victory that is already found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go turn to 2 Timothy as we get ready just to jump in as of my 20-minute introduction there. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you could just turn there with me. How many are excited for the preaching of God's word today? Hmm. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to focus on four verses today. And then we're done. Four verses. So here we go. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, Paul is writing here. Now, what's amazing about this is Paul is writing. I mean, this is an obvious, man. Who's Paul writing to? Huh? Timothy. Yeah, Timothy. Okay. Second letter to Timothy. Second Timothy. Here it is. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, this is awesome. I love this scripture. Look at, look what Paul talks to Timothy about. He, he goes on and he starts this, ready? He says, yo, not yo, you. <laughs> Sorry. If you would have been modern day Paul, Paul would have been, yo, Tim. All right. But he says, you, Timothy, my son, my son, Timothy, amazing. Okay, Paul, not recorded, being married or having children. So he saw Timothy as a son. He brought Timothy up in the faith. He, he taught Timothy about being a pastor, and he helped Timothy go and send him out to plant his church. Now, what's amazing is Paul looked at Timothy as a son, and he looked at him as, I'm your spiritual father, so I speak to you as a father speaks to a son. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? And he, he, he starts the letter with saying, son, son, listen to me. And he says this, be strong. If you're, if you're taking notes or you highlight or you underline, you might want to underline that phrase right there. He starts off with saying, just be strong. And, and you could imagine if Paul is writing this to Timothy, maybe, just maybe what is going on in Timothy's life. He might be what? Feeling what? A little weak lately. And Paul, knowing that as his daddy, as his spiritual father, he says, son, son, I see that you're falling weak. So I'm going to give you an encouragement. Ready? Say it with me, church. Be strong. But I love what he tells him to be strong and follow along with me. He says, be strong in the what? In the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah, I love that because right off the bat, he doesn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, be strong in your knowledge and be strong in your wisdom and be strong in your philosophy of life and, and be strong with your congregation and be strong with the tithes that you receive from your church. And, and he doesn't tell any of that junk to Timothy. He tells him something that is so vital and so important that is so important for the church. And maybe today you find your... Okay. Here we are, we're talking about war. We're going to go to works. We're going to be throwing grenades. and we're gonna, I mean, it's going to be amazing. We're going to fight Satan, okay? And, and we're going to fight our flesh. For, and then I'm telling you all this, and you're sitting here and says, but I feel weak. I feel like there's nothing inside me that can do those things that you're saying. Timothy was in the same place, and Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Watch this, church, because you're not strong in yourself. You're weak. You're wretched. Paul said it. Oh, this wretched man that I am. There is nothing in you that can do this, so be strong in God's grace. And maybe today you're trying to overcome an addiction, or maybe today you're trying to overcome a marriage problem, or maybe today you're trying to overcome a child problem, or maybe today you're trying to overcome something at work. And Jesus is telling you, through Paul's writing, the same thing. The reason why you can't overcome is because it's not found in your strength, but be strong in the grace that is found in Jesus. You want to go to war? Yes! In whose strength? Mine! Paul says, no, dummy. It's in Christ and in his grace where you will have the strength to go to war. Wow. If I would have just known that, I could have just ignored a lot of things in my life. Because I tried to do so much stupid things with my own strength. And I just got deeper and deeper. Anyone with me in that? And deeper and deeper. And God's like, it's me that's going to get you out, not you. Okay, let's keep going. I'll keep preaching on that. All right? And then he goes on. He says, and the thing. Oh, I love this verse. I love this verse. I love this verse. And the things. This is Paul still telling him, part two. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. You, you, you know what this is saying, right? This is saying this. You remember all those preachings and all those teachings and all those discipleship moments we had in my living room? Remember all those walks we had to the mall? 
Remember that time at the gas station when you bought a Slim Jim and I bought a Diet Coke to lose my figure? He goes, all those things that I've taught you, look what he says. All those things that I've taught you. And many a times, Timothy, I've taught you all these things amongst many what? Witnesses. I love this. You know why? Don't come to me lying to me saying that I never told you that. Because I have many witnesses that were there that can prove that me and you had this conversation. And I taught you how to be strong in Christ Jesus our Lord. You almost see Timothy reading this. like, all right, I'm not going to object that. He's going to bring out some people on me. And he says this. Among many witnesses, the things that I have, you've heard from me. Now watch what he says next. Commit, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay. How many of you guys, are, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke at some of you guys because I love you guys. And, and I'm trying to sharpen you and I just, you know, tickle your ear. I'm trying to love you. And, and this is part of me loving you. Ready? How many of you have been here for, um, let, let's be nice to the people that have been here for months. For one year already, at least a year. Okay. All right. There's one, one, two, three. Okay, wait, wait. But we're going to go high. Just for about a year or less. Okay, a year or less. Let's do a year or less. All right. A lot of hands. You guys are scared. Like, God, is he <laughs> How many of you have been here for at least two years? Okay. Two years. Some hands. Look at that. Three years. Any three yearsers? Yearsers? Any three? Rudy in the back. Two. Good. Three. Four. Three years. How many of you have been here for about four years now? You know, four years. Good. We're starting to see the founding members of New Life. How many have been here since the first day um, our church opened? Can you guys stand up? We just want to honor you today. It's the first day when we were in Starbucks and then the living room. Amen. Give God a hand for, for the founding members of our church. Okay, sit down. Okay, one years or years is, I don't know how to say that. One years, two years, three years, people. My four years people, my founding people. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm not Paul. I'm not even trying to be Paul, but I'm Pastor Regal to you, and, and I just want to share this with you. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. And the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses... Every single Sunday, every time we meet, every time we open up the Bible together, every time we've met in that little back room or we've gone to drink coffee together at a Starbucks, every time that we share the gospel with one another as your pastor, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, and you can't say I haven't told you because I have a lot of church members here that say he preached that already. Yes, he did. I preached almost every topic already in the five years, and we'll just repeat them all over again. But here we go. He says this. He says this. Commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. My one years, my two years, my three years people, my four years, my founding people. Listen, listen, listen. Who have you been committing these things to so that they will be able to teach others? I can't wait for you to talk to me after service and show me your tree with all your fruit and all the lives that you've touched with the gospel of Jesus. Come on, show it to me. Are you guys with me? What is this called? Ready? This is what this is called. Ready? Paul... <laughs> is doing this to Timothy. He was pulling hard on this verse. And he says, disciple, disciple men, faithful men that are going to disciple other men, faithful men. Why? More soldiers for the war of Christ. Amen. Disciple. So my question to you is, have you been waiting for Pastor Regal, for some of the leaders, have you been waiting for someone else to disciple the person that God is calling you to just spend time with, drink coffee with, open up the word of God with, and change their lives forever. What are you waiting for? Amen, amen, amen. Let's keep going so I don't get in trouble. Then in verse, in verse 3 it says, You therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier. We just talked about the perfect chain of discipleship here. But now look what Paul, I love this, tells Timothy. All right, Timothy, but now you must endure, underline that, hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach now for a second. Now, now listen to, to what Paul is, is telling Timothy here. You endure hardship. This is so amazing because he's telling him this. The King James Version says, endure hardness, not ship, hardness. When you break down the Greek word for hardness, for hardship, this is what it means. Ready? So you, Timothy, therefore endure hardship. The Greek means you, ready, endure the affliction that is going to come. You endure the suffering of your trouble that is to come. 
Imagine being Timothy. You get a letter from your overseeing pastor, spiritual father, and you say, yes, he wrote to me. And as you're opening up the letter in front of your church, you say, hey, he wrote a letter to us. And you start to read it. He says, son, be ready to suffer. Be ready to get afflicted. But be ready to what? Endure. I love this. Be ready to remain and stay in the midst of these afflictions. Young son, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a fight. It's going to be hard. Listen, you will suffer. This life, young son, it's a life that will be difficult. Any here felt the difficulties of life? Some of you are going through some of them right now. Yes, you are. And he says, this life will be difficult. He's almost saying what? You're going to feel like you're in a war. Like if you're in a war, watch this, you're going to experience and rejoice in your victories, but at times you're going to face obstacles, these battles that are going to rip out the life inside of you. Have you ever been there? I share with you my friend who's dying with the tumor in the hospital, and that's the best explanation of how I could explain how the Lord is ripping life out of a family. Now, what is that Christian family going to do at the moment if God doesn't do that miracle the way he wants it and creates another miracle by sending him into his glory because that alone is the greatest miracle, but whatever. What is that family going to do? Are they going to give up on God? They just lost a son. Or will they endure and say, even though my life has been ripped out from inside of me, I'm going to endure and I'm still going to fight as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important here. And I know for a f- let's just jump back to this. Ready? Second Timothy. We're just going to jump verse, verse, word, word. Here it is. You must endure hardship. You already broke down what hardship means, hardness. As a what? Say it with me. As a good soldier of... Okay. I know for a fact. I want you guys listening to me really quick. Without a shadow of a doubt, I will not fight... For someone that I do not care about or something that I could care less for. Don't ever ask me to put my life on the line for someone that I could care less to know of or know about. Will I even dare to fight or put my line for someone like that? I don't even know that person. You crazy? I don't even know what to do if that were to ever happen to me. So here's my question to you. 2 Timothy 2 says, you endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So here's it is. Here's where I'm going to poke at you for a second. Do you care enough for Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know him that you would put your life on the line for the cause of Christ? How would you answer that today? How would you answer that? Because Paul is writing to Timothy, you endure hardship as a good soldier. Of Jesus. Let me explain to you what that means. You're going to suffer, Timothy. But the reason why you suffer is because you have been enlisted in a war. And you fight under your commander. And the person that you fight for, and that you are a good soldier for, his name is Jesus. So when you struggle and when you fight and when you're in pain, you do it as a good soldier under Jesus Christ. Timothy. Or any of us will never be able to do this if we first can answer this question. Who is Jesus to me? And will I ever be able to lay down my life for my Savior? Because if I could care less about Jesus, then you better believe that I will never go to battle for that Jesus. Are you guys with me? So today, the question to you is this as we talk about war in the next weeks. Who is he to you? Does he mean that much to you that Paul says, endure these things as a soldier of Jesus? It's for his cause. Who is he to you? Watch this. Will you make war? And now verse 4 goes on to tell us something so amazing. So amazing. Go with me really quick. And he says this. No one. Everyone say no one. Good. I just wanted to make sure you got that. No one that is engaged in warfare entangles himself with the blank. What is the blank? With the affairs of this life. Let's keep going. 
so that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. You want to guess who that him is that we are trying to please? Jesus, watch this. No one that is in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Check this. As a soldier of Christ, I just told you, we are engaged in a war that we fight for him. And as we war and as we battle for Christ, listen, Scripture reminds us, as Paul tells Timothy, do not be entangled with the affairs of this life. I'm going to break this down for you. Why am I sharing 2 Timothy? Because this is such a catalyst. This is so important for the weeks to come that if you don't get 2 Timothy chapters 1 through 4, you're never going to understand my marriage preaching. You're never going to understand my church preaching. You're never going to understand when I tell you to fast and pray. You're not going to understand. You're never going to fast. You're never going to pray. You're never going to read your word. If you don't understand 2 Timothy 1 through 4, the next 4, 5, 6, whatever amount of weeks, they're not going to fall right until you get 2 Timothy. So he tells them this. Ready? You want to go to war where you can never, never entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. What does he mean by this? Greek word for entangled means this. And it means, it's the word, I don't even know how to pronounce it, empleco, I don't know how to say it, but it means this, to entwine, entwine, or to involve yourself with. I, I love this because you're going to see why I gave you this Greek word. He said, do never, never entwine or involve yourself with the affairs of this life. Well, what does affairs mean? Here it is in the Greek, ready? The word is pragmatia. And that is the word where we get pragmatic from. Now, I, I want you to listen now to what he means. And I want you to apply this to your life. No one, I'm going to read it now in the Greek, entwine, not in the Greek definition, entwines or involves themselves. What does pragmatia mean? A transaction or negotiation. So no one that is fighting this war for Christ involves themselves with or entwines themselves with negotiating or transacting with the world's way of life. Wow. You see, it means something totally different now than when you first read it. Because when I first read it, it's like, yeah, 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 don't be caught to the affairs of this world. But what does that really mean? Well, when you read it in its original language, it says, don't even, don't even involve yourself with transactions from this world's life. But I'm in this world. You are, but you're not what? Right, of it. Do not even negotiate with the things of this world. I'm, I'm just going to go with this. What happens is to certain people that are in this war called Christianity is this. They become so involved, okay? They become so involved with, I love how one definition in the ESV breaks it down, with the civilian affairs. We become so involved with the affairs of this life. Listen, and what happens to you and I when we're fighting in this war of Christianity, but then we begin to involve ourselves with, I'll just go to this place just one time, and I'll just be here for one day, and God knows my yeah, and God knows what I'm really, and, and you know, you do all these beautiful little sayings, and God's in heaven, like, you can't fool me, but, but, and we do all these things, I'll just do, make a little transaction, and I'll negotiate just a little bit with the world, I'll go back to church on Sunday and ask for forgiveness, but for right now, I'll just have a little bit of fun with the things that I know that God is not telling me to negotiate and transact with, and then this is what happens to that kind of person, I wrote this down as God was speaking to me, he becomes vulnerable and less likely to defend himself against the enemy enemy's attack because you're so caught up in civilian affairs that you watch this that you become like one of them and when the enemy comes he says blindside we got him <laughs> boom attacks and something happens to us we become vulnerable less likely to defend ourselves against the enemy's attack and watch this and more likely to be caught by surprise captured or even killed I need you to listen because why? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about something so amazing. And in the next few weeks, if you start to entangle yourself and transact and negotiate with things that God is not calling you for, it's just a moment of time where the enemy comes in and takes you hostage. Marriages go down like that. Yeah, they do. The wife starts working. She's not getting attention at home. The husband is so busy at work, he hasn't been able to tell her I love her in a long time. He hasn't brought her flowers in years. 
He really loves her deep down inside. But the wife hasn't felt loved in a long time. So she goes to work, and there's such a good-looking guy that just got hired at her job. And for the first time in a long time, she heard, you look so beautiful today. And she says, man, my husband hasn't told me that in a long time. Sounded pretty good. They come the next day. I bought you some lunch. I was at McDonald's and I thought about you. I bought you an apple pie. <laughs> wow. He has her attention. It's that fast where you get blindsided. And you begin to get caught up in civilian affairs, you begin to transact, listen, you begin to negotiate with things that you were never even called to negotiate with and transact with. You know what you should have said when he brought the apple pie, right? Thank you, this is my husband's favorite dessert. I'll make sure I take it home to my husband. That would have ended everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, it would have. Don't know, amen to that. Bye-bye. But instead, you liked it, you liked it, you liked it, you liked it, it felt good. Now listen, I'm, I'm using this as a good example because this is us with sin, okay? This is us with sin. And we begin to transact and negotiate. It feels a little good today. It feels a little bit better tomorrow. And next thing you know, you're swallowed up and you're stuck in a hole, in a mess. And you say, how in the world did I even get here? That is why Paul says, Timothy, no one that is in warfare entwines themselves with the negotiations of civilian affairs. One thing that they teach soldiers when they're in Iraq, always, 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 always have your eyes open. You might be in the most peaceful city in Iraq, but you have your gun loaded and drawn and ready to attack at every moment. You never put your guard down. You never give your weapon to a civilian and say, hold this while I tie my shoes. You get another soldier, did that happen? You get another soldier to tie your shoes while you're looking and you cover his back while he's tying your shoes. Listen, you never bring down. Why? Because in war, if you just get a little bit caught in and a little bit comfortable, comfortable with civilian affairs and you just get a little bit comfortable with it feels a little good just to negotiate with the world a little bit. It's just a moment when the enemy will come in and hold you and take over. And you're like, how did I get here? Because you didn't do what Paul says. No one, no one that is engaged in this war entangles and entwines themselves with the things of this world. No one. You want to fight for your family? Love your family. You want to... Win your marriage over. Put roses on the bed. And say, I'm not just doing this for tonight, but I'm going to change from this day for the rest of the day of my life. I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm going to be a man that supports this house. I'm going to show you not just with words, but with actions that Jesus lives in me. Amen. And women, don't just say amen for the men. You do it too. And children, you do it too. And parents, you do it too. Listen, listen. Do not entangle yourself with hatred and bitterness. And do not entangle yourself. Because that's the thing from Satan. He wants you to look at him and look at her and look at them and look at your neighbor with this deceitful eye. I'm going to get back at them. And I'm mad. And I'm aggressive. That's war and aggressive conflict. But Paul says no one in warfare entwines themselves, negotiates with the things of this world. You stay pure. Timothy, you want to win this war? You want to win this war, Timothy? You want to win this war? No one engaged in warfare entangles themselves with the affairs of this life. You're going to win. Don't do it. And look what he says next. So that he, so that you, Timothy, will please Jesus, who's enlisted you as a soldier of his army. I love this scripture. Matthew Henry's, as a soldiers, we have something to do here. And we must never entangle ourselves with life's affairs. 
It's so easy to do it, guys. Ladies, it's so easy. I say guys in general. Never entangle ourselves with life's affairs. Listen, because they can divert and they could draw us aside, listen, from our duty to God and the concerns of our Christianity. We do this so that we could please him, watch this, who's enlisted us into his army. See, you're never going to understand when we start talking about marriage. You're never going to understand when we start talking about finances. You're never, you're never going to understand all the next few weeks if you don't understand 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's a responsibility on the church's side, amen? These verses perfectly explain to us why I've cried so many times. Say, why do people come to church, get on fire, and then leave the church? And they're like, what happened? <laughs> kind of sucked. Then you call them, then they change their number on you. Then that's real awkward. <laughs> like, God, should I ignore them? Should I continue to show the love of Christ? I'm kind of being a pest. But it shows me why, because watch this, watch this. Time passes and they, then they disappear, right? Watch this. They experience the church, the family, you know. They experience all this stuff. They get excited about all this stuff, but then they leave. What happened? Watch what happened. They became entangled. They became involved and entwined with the world's system, its system of sin and distractions. And we lost them. That's all it was. That's all it was. It was because they didn't understand 2 Timothy 2. They got on fire for God. Hallelujah, I'm going to get baptized next week. And then after the baptism, like, what happened? And they made transactions with the world, and we never see them again. And that happens to the corporate church all over the world. That's what this shows me in 2 Timothy. They no longer serve as soldiers um, in their duty. They, they're in church. Then one day they begin to have some transactions. And then another day they negotiate a little bit more. Then the next thing you know, they've been diverted. They've been drawn aside from the things of God. Listen, they no longer serve as these soldiers and their duty unto God. And they're no longer concerned to Christianity and with Christianity and the Christ that it is founded on and built on. They've experienced war, but they did not endure war. They gave in. They gave up. And what they don't realize is they did not win. Church, they lose. And this is why Paul is telling Timothy, young son, be strong. In who, church? Be strong in Christ, in the grace of Christ. Be strong in him. Watch this. Endure the hardness that you will soon face. Watch. As a soldier of Jesus. Just stay strong. Endure in Jesus. G.K. Chesterton, who was like a mentor to one of my favorites, C.S. Lewis. And G.K. Chesterton said this, The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. Wow, whoa. what's behind you, church? I'm going to ask my wife to come up here. Come, baby. You know I'm in trouble already, right? <laughs> Today she gets to have my whole dessert. Okay. That's an old preacher. All right. But the truth is, look at G.K. Chesterton when he said, The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. My question to you is this. What's behind you? What's behind you? I know you guys are so distracted with her, but you guys have to listen to me for a second. But, you know, what's behind you? What's behind you? Who and what are you ready to fight for? Who are you ready to fight for? Are you ready to fight for your faith? You ready? You ready to fight for your marriage? You ready? Or are you just going to continue to complain about her? You're going to continue to complain about him. Shut up. Fight. It's worth it. Fight. For your faith. Fight for your marriage. You're going to fight for your children. You're going to fight for the brotherhood. My question to you is, as I get ready to end, what's behind you? What's behind you? 
And are you ready to fight for it? J.R.R. Tolkien says this. Now you can stay up here with me. J.R.R. Tolkien says this. War, watch this. War must be. You know who J.R.R. Tolkien is? Who is he? Lord of the Rings, man. This is a part of Lord of the Rings I'm reading to you. The, the, twin, the twin, is it? The two towers. Oh, y'all act like you knew because it's up there. The two towers, cheaters, making me look like a fool. All right, here we go. He writes this. War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. War must be for that which you love and you must defend. For some of you guys, you know already what it is. And get ready for the weeks to come. This is just an introduction. Get ready for the weeks to come. Are you ready to fight for what's behind you? And say, enough is enough. I'm going to go to war for what's behind me. And for my love for it. Two verses and I'm done. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, maybe the worship team could come up really quick. Try not to be distracted, guys, please. Finally, are you guys there? Ephesians 6, 10. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his what? Yeah. Another translation says, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. I, I share these two verses that I'm going to share with you because of this. Ready? I, I want you to know this for the next few weeks. Here it is. Ready? Don't be distracted with them. There's, there's the same people that were up here earlier. Just look at me. <laughs> people are on the stage now. You know, it's like something new is happening in the service. All right, here we go. I'm almost done. The reason why I share these verses is because of this. You can, you can do this. You can. And in the next few weeks, you will realize that you can. And that's because you are able, but because he is able through you. And that is why I gave you this verse. Finally, be strong. But not be strong in your strength, but be strong in the Lord. In the next few weeks, just come over here. Come early. Get on time. And be strong in the Lord. And in his strength, in the power of his might, because it's in him. Let's flip to the Psalm 1 that I gave you. In Psalm 144, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed be the Lord, watch this, my rock, my, my, my rock, my, my fortress, he's my, my rock. Look at this. Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Leave it there. You want to know why hands? Because back then they used to fight with their hands. Their swords... When they used to get close for battle, they had swords, but there was, listen, this is a true story. Okay. <laughs> there was times that their swords, that when they were, when, let's say an enemy got close, they didn't have time to do this, to take it out and, 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 and kill their enemy. So what their swords used to have is, guess what? When they would take out their swords, they had like brass knuckles and even a, a club thing in the bottom that cops have today under their flashlight things. And what they would do is when they didn't have time because they had to go stand back to stab, they would grab the pointers of the part of the sword and they would just, bah! and smash their skulls with the sword. That is why the psalmist says, he trains my hands for battle. Because they used to fight at times when they got close with their hands because they couldn't take out their sword. And then why fingers? My fingers for battle. My hands for war, fingers for battle. Because in those days, one of the greatest weapons was what? All finger technique. You got to know how to let go of the arrows. That's why he said that. And then let's go to the next part. For he is my steadfast love. Another translation says, he is my loving kindness. He is my fortress and he is my stronghold, my high tower. He is my deliverer. He is my shield. And I love what one translation says. He is the one in whom I take refuge. The one. 
He subdues the people under me. Like David who wrote this. In the Lord, you will find the protection and the preparation that you need in times for battle. You will find it in the Lord, church. I promise you that. You will find it. You're struggling. You're struggling today. You're going to find it today in the next few weeks in the Lord. In the Lord, you're going to find it. You're going to find your hope in the Lord. Just like David did. Because he trains your hands for war and for the war that's ahead. And he makes ready your fingers for battle. He is your stronghold, your fortress. He is your deliverer. I love that, a fortress. A fortress is that fortified place where there is security and where there is protection. That's what Jesus is to you. I'm going to ask you with all reverence, reverence, try not to get distracted. Can you stand as we get ready to close? I want you right now where you're at to just close your eyes. And this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. My title of my message was, You Must Decide. Maybe there's some of you here that have been borderline. I don't know whether to go all out for the Lord or should I continue with the affairs of this world. You know that there's things in your life you need to fight for. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about them. And I put my wife behind me as an illustration. What are you ready to fight for? What do you love that you're ready to fight for? That maybe today you've given up on. You've given up on it. I need you to listen to me. Today you gave up on it. But today the Lord reminded you, don't give up on that yet. One more time, one more time. Just put it behind you. Fight for it. Maybe that's you today. And today you're going to make that decision. I've decided. I'm going to make war. And I'm not going to entangle myself against the affairs of this world. I'm going to stand once and for all for Jesus. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This is what I want you to do. With every eye closed, we're going to worship the Lord. But if that's you today, and you want to make war, and you've decided, I'm going to decide today. Together, corporately, we're going to worship. And if that's you, we'll push chairs back if we have to. But I'm going to stand up here with you together. And I'm going to open up the front. There's nothing special. But as you come up to the front, say, I'm deciding. Together as a unit, we're going to decide. So if today, if we begin to worship the Lord and you decide, the front is open. Let's worship at least for two minutes. We still have some time. And together as a unit, as we come up, say, Lord, you spoke to my heart. I will decide to fight for those things that I love. I will decide today. If that's you today, and you decide to fight, to go to war, come up to the front. No one's going to pray for you. You're going to worship together with the church. And you're going to say, today I decide. The altar's open. I pray that you decide to fight. Let's worship the Lord.